we're designed to have a physical reaction to stress. And when we do that, that's what hits the reset button. But now we just have these stressors that just keep going and going and going, and we don't get the physical activity to restore our chemistry. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast. I'm Bob Glazer, Acceleration Partners founder and managing director. And the quote of the day is from Coach Chuck Pagano, and that is, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. I'm very excited for our guest today, Jenny Evans. Jenny, in her words, is obsessed with health and human performance. She's a captivating speaker, an expert on resiliency, stress, and confidence, and the founder and CEO of Powerhouse Performance, and author of the award-winning book, The Resiliency Revolution, Your Stress Solution for Life, 60 Seconds at a Time. Jenny Evans, welcome. It's great to have you on Outperform. Thanks for having me, Bob. I'm really excited for today. So on this podcast, we talk about all levels and angles of performance. One of the things that almost all high performers have in common is their focus on health, be it mental, physical, spiritual, or emotional health, and keeping each of these in peak condition. I know this is something you've written and spoken a lot about. So what got you into the business of helping people elevate their performance? Oh, it's funny because when I was young, I was the opposite of having any physical talent whatsoever. And so I really discounted it a lot. And in fact, when I was five, my mom made me sign up for dance class because that's how unbelievably uncoordinated I was. But in college, I decided that I was going to sign up to be a group fitness instructor because for me, it was an extension of that dance background that I had. But what happened was having to get even the most basic understanding of anatomy and physiology was a game changer for me. Because when you really understand how the human body and brain work, you can expose it to different stimuli and get it to adapt and change in some of the most amazing ways. And so just on a personal level, I started this journey of man, how do I want to change my body? How do I want to change my brain? How do I want to change my performance? And what I got out of that was so life-changing. I just couldn't wait to start sharing it with other people because I knew, wow, if this has affected me and I had these challenges and questions, I'm assuming it probably applies to a lot of other people as well. And so, I mean, it's funny to me that this is what I've ended up doing based on how I started, but it's what I've been really passionate and curious about for an incredibly long time. And it's also a field where we are still learning so much about the body and brain and how it works and how to optimize it. So I'm always continuing to learn. And can you explain for everyone what exactly you and Powerhouse Performance do? Yes, I love being in front of an audience 
and sharing information that has the potential to change their lives in some way. And really kind of seeing that aha light bulb moment for people when they realize, oh, this isn't going to be as hard as I thought it was going to be, or wow, nobody's ever explained that to me before. So I travel and speak to a lot of Fortune 500 companies on how their employees can improve their resiliency, their performance, energy, engagement, confidence, and as a side effect, their health. Because as you said in the bio, I'm obsessed with human performance. And what organizations really care about is optimizing performance. But approaching performance from a physiological perspective has the great added benefit that people are also improving their health in the process, which is just even more beneficial for the business and the bottom line. Yeah, there's two themes that you talked about there that are connected to my second book, which I'm finishing right now. And one is on the concept of, of working on people holistically, and they, they are the same across their personal self and how they come to work. And one of the themes that I'm also digging is on, on health and wellness and how it's really a foundation to performance and our ability to build that capacity. I just don't see a lot of high performers who aren't working on that in, in some way. So is that a little bit of, of, of what you've seen or how do you, when you're talking to these companies, or, or is, it, is it really about, hey, I, I, we need to think about this person holistically. I'm not, not trying to get better energy at work, but they need better energy across all aspects of their lives or they won't perform at work or elsewhere. For sure. You know, one of the things that really sets my work apart on resiliency is that I approach the whole concept of the issue of stress, which is a, it's a huge obstacle for anyone. And most often the approach is dealing with it psychologically. Let's just give you some stress management techniques. But the reality is that stress is a chemistry problem. It radically changes your chemistry and your physiology. And those chemical changes affect what parts of the brain you have access to. It also affects the structure and composition of your brain. It affects your sleep, your decision making. And so getting people to understand, you know what, let's approach things from the aspect of let's optimize people's chemistry and physiology which then means you don't have those negative side effects of stress that most people deal with in their work lives and their personal lives. And it's just, it's a big paradigm shift for companies to understand, wow, this does all distill down to how do you optimize the chemistry of somebody's body and brain for them to fully access the array of talents and skills that we've invested in as a company that are essential with all of the change and risk and stress that people are having to deal with and to make these decisions very quick and to be nimble and agile. Have you ever seen someone who's domain specific, who's really stressed out, whether it be financial or otherwise at home, and then walks into the work environment and just turns that off and is a different person? I have yet to see it. I mean, for sure, there is no firewall between your personal stress 
and your professional stress. Because like I said, it changes the chemistry of your body and brain. And one of those hormones, cortisol, when that's secreted, that lasts in your body and brain for multiple hours after it's been secreted. So let's say you have a bad morning before you leave for work, you know, and on the way to work, you try to reset yourself psychologically. But honestly, when you're showing up to work, you're still suffering those effects of those stress hormones. And then the same thing, when you get home for work, as much as you're trying to change the channel psychologically, if those stress hormones are still circulating through your body, it is changing how you're showing up emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. So if you get cut off in traffic and you flick someone off and you're screaming, you're probably not going to walk into work and be your, your calmest version of yourself. Most likely not. But that's where I come into play of like, well, how do you then quickly correct that chemistry? Because we do need to bounce back from, you know, all these events that happen throughout the course of the day. We'll dive into the day a little bit because I think the day starts with the morning and that's where really there's been a lot of focus in, in performance and that how you start your day really sets the tone. But I'd love to just get two definitions from you because I think everyone looks at it a little bit differently. And I think it helps to define what we're talking about. So how, how do you define in your world both resiliency and stress? Great questions. So stress, I like to just use the really simple definition. It's anything that pushes your body or brain out of balance. So that means we have good stress in our lives, we have bad stress, but it just, it pushes us out of balance. And the way I define resiliency is, first of all, I take a physiological approach to building resiliency. And so what this means is I define it in two ways. Number one, there is a way to train your body and your brain to recover from stress more quickly and efficiently so that you are back on your feet for that next kick in the face, that next stressor that I promise you is coming. And then number two, resiliency is also about how can you train to raise your body and brain's threshold for stress so that you can successfully handle a lot more before that stress response is triggered. I'm curious whether you agree with this or not. One, one thing that I read recently about resilience was, and probably how it ties to stress, is that for us to be resilient, we really need to care about something and want to work through it. You know, we choose what to be resilient about and what not. And there are some battles where you need to just, you walk away because it's not important to you. And then there's some other ones where you have to see it all the way through. So you need to figure out how to, how to manage your stress and, and how to be resilient. Yeah. You know, I, what I share with audiences that is really unique is once I give them some tools for being resilient, actually applying those and creating a successful change strategy is very different. Most change strategies are all about, okay, let's just educate people on the right behaviors and then let's inspire them. Let's just tell them to start acting differently. Well, we know how well that typically works. Right. It doesn't. And so one of the things is we still have a very primitive part of our brain that exists that actually hates change because change requires a lot of energy. There's the unknown. The primitive brain wants comfort, safety, security of habit and routine. So part of what I teach people is there are ways to create an environment because our environment's unconsciously influence our behaviors, create an environment that it's unconsciously nudging you 
into the right behaviors without you having to use any self-discipline or any willpower because we know self-discipline and willpower are very limited resources. The more you use it, the less you have. With that being said, having a clear sense of purpose, values, and beliefs are kind of an extra battery pack for self-discipline and willpower. So, you know, for sure, we do have a higher rate of success when the behavior changes that we're attempting are connected to something more meaningful and important than whatever. I want to lose weight or I want to get a promotion. Like those are not long-term motivators that overcome the stress and the demands of the daily grind. It's got to be something way more emotionally driven than just intellectually driven. That's an interesting point. Well, Tony Robbins says he jumps in an ice bath in the morning because if he shocks his system enough and the rest of the day, you know, can't possibly be a shock compared to that. But I don't think most of us are, are ready for that. So but I'd love to come back to what you just talked about, because I think that's a key anchoring principle in knowing, knowing what you want and where you're going and keeping things in perspective. But if we're going to bring it way back for a second, Talk a little bit about what does a productive day look like in terms of starting your morning off, eating, managing your energy and stress? Is the morning, does it set the tone? Is this where we go right or we go wrong? Or can you recover from a bad morning? For sure. I mean, just from a physiological perspective, think about what's what sort of a state your body and brain is in. Okay, so you haven't fueled your body since the night before. And so when we wake up in the morning, all of us, our blood glucose levels are below optimal. And blood glucose is a great form of energy. And so ideally, within an hour of waking up, we need to put some sort of fuel, some food into the system to get our blood glucose levels into the ideal range. Because glucose is your brain's primary fuel source. And so if you're not putting any fuel in for your brain, it's gonna be extremely difficult to hit the ground running, being focused, being prepared, being engaged. You know, and I will also say like sleep is really important. Even before you start your day, I think a lot of us are very quick to start sacrificing sleep for, you know, getting more work done, or, you know, maybe at night at the end of a long day, you just want to veg out. And so You'll start watching something on TV and pretty soon you won't go to bed until the show's over or just one more show, not paying attention to when your body is really tired. So there's a lot of things that you can do to optimize your sleep so that when you wake up in the morning, you are more rested. You're ready to go. Um, caffeine. Uh, <laughs> it can be an ergogenic aid, meaning it's uh, performance enhancing. Although the stress hormone cortisol is naturally at its highest level in our bodies in the mornings when we wake up and large amounts of caffeine also increase cortisol. So I mean, I hate to tell people this, but like lots of coffee first thing in the morning is actually not really that great. Now, um, I've shared with you, I don't ask anybody to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. I love my coffee. I love the way it smells. I love the way it tastes, but I just kind of try to keep it to a minimum. So, you know, really getting your body and brain into an optimum state is one of the best things you can do to create a strong foundation to launch into a long, 
busy day. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Can I unpack something you said there? Because let's say I wake up, I have some breakfast, I have my coffee, my cortisol is very high. And there's short and long-term implications there. If I'm about to dive into something that I really want to do, that could probably be very helpful to me, right? In terms of the stress level is higher and sort of fight or flight and, and, and using that. If I'm about to dive into something I don't want to do or a sense of having too much to do, I, I actually could see the same thing then becoming a negative. So it might even it might even depend on the context of that day and what it is that you need to do. I know Daniel Pink has a new book, you know, bestseller out right now called When, in terms of being really thoughtful about when we do certain things within our lives. But I can think of the days where I'm hopped up and that's helpful and where I'm hopped up and it's (laughs) really hurtful. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I mean, there's so many layers to this of, you know, you just have like those natural peaks and, and valleys in your energy levels. But, you know, regardless when that stress response is triggered, when there's too much cortisol in the body, what that does is it actually decreases your access to the advanced portion of your brain, which is logic, reasoning, making decisions that have consequences out into the future. And we're primarily functioning on that primitive brain, which is all about sort of, how am I feeling right now? It's about instant gratification. That's why we become, um, we just do stupid things that are pretty short-sighted. They're not good for the long-term. And that primitive brain is also highly reactive. 
And it's really emotional. And it's emotional from the perspective of it's hardwired to be defensive and to assume the worst. And so when we're operating with that primitive caveman brain in charge, which is any time that stress response is triggered, even though we might want to be making great decisions, we honestly don't have access to that part of our brain. Didn't you have a name for that? Was it Primitive Pete or something like that? Uh, yeah, I call our primitive brain uh, Sneaky Pete. Okay, uh, and I call him Sneaky because primitive brain, it's all about our, our survival and our protection. There are things that our primitive brain does that's good for us, but our primitive hardwiring has changed very little in the last, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So there are parts of us that are cavemen that are now living in this crazy advanced society and the hardwiring of how we're designed to function best. There's a huge disconnect between the environments that we're working and living in now, which kind of creates some problems, which is why I said one of the change strategies I talk about is your environment matters. And so how can we optimize our environments to then optimize our behaviors? Can you give some examples of that and, and on the two brains, when how you bring back one and, and when you need one or the other? You play that out a little more, and I think it's really helpful. Yeah, so there's a few things that you can do to keep Sneaky Pete out of the driver's seat, that primitive caveman brain. So anytime the stress response is triggered, stress hormones come pouring out into the body and brain, and that puts Sneaky Pete in charge, caveman brain. Well, what changes our chemistry is a short burst of intense physical activity, which mimics fighting or fleeing, because the stress response is also called the fight or flight response. And when we get a really short burst of intense physical activity, it actually burns off the stress hormones and releases another set of hormones that counteract the negative side effects of stress. And they put that in advanced brain back online. And also then, you know, Sneaky Pete got to do his job. Theoretically, he got to fight or flee and he's lazy. So once he's done his job, he's like, all right, I'm taking a back seat. I'm going to let advanced brain take over. So 30 to 60 seconds of a short burst of intense physical activity puts your advanced brain back online. So something like, you know, you just left a really stressful meeting. Instead of taking the elevator up three floors, go to the stairwell and sprint up those flight of stairs and you've just optimized your chemistry back into an ideal state. From a nutrition perspective, when we go too long without eating, blood glucose levels drop and that triggers the stress response. And now we've got Sneaky Pete in charge, which explains why when we get hangry, we just become negative and emotional and reactive. So by eating about every three to four hours so that you've got consistent levels of ideal blood glucose keeps primitive brain from taking over. You know, and I just there's all different kinds of things that you can do from the environment perspective of creating what I call optimal defaults. So primitive caveman brain wants the easiest default option. Well, we've created a world of disastrous defaults where yeah. little red notification signals that grab your attention and pull you away. Uh, what do you mean? All the real-time stimuli, right? If you're looking on your phone and everything is is beeping, all the notification icons are beeping and all that stuff. I assume that that brings you right into that sort of stress mode. 
Yeah, but I'm even talking about bigger things like how workplaces are designed, how communities are designed. So for instance, when we we're hardwired to move as little as possible and to eat as much as we can while we can. So now think about the environments we've created from a movement perspective. How did you get to work this morning, Bob? I walked downstairs. So that, that's... Uh, oh, you did? Okay. I think you're in the minority. Probably a bad example, but most people are drive or taking public... Have to drive because, yeah, work's too far away. Okay. So the default option is you have to use transportation of some sort. So when most people get to work, what's the default activity they do with their bodies? Sitting at their desk. They sit in the desk. And then when it's time to come home from work, the default is to sit again. And then when we get home from work, after we make dinner, what's the default thing that a lot of us do with our bodies? Sit on the couch and watch TV. Totally. So we're hardwired to move as little as possible, but now we've created environments that require very little movement. So now we wonder, why is it so hard for us to get regular exercise? Why is it so hard for us to not sit for long periods of time? We're hardwired to eat as much as we can while we can. Think about serving sizes. They're enormous. And so we're supposed to just like not eat all that food. That's not how we're hardwired. And just to be clear, right, because I think you're, you're, you, this is probably more intuitive to you, but as you said it, we're hardwired because this comes from a time of scarcity and no place to live, right? So this is not this is not something that was hardwired from a place of scarcity, and now we're really more in a place of abundance. Completely. You got it. And that's why the book is called The Resiliency Revolution. And revolution is actually spelled little r, big E. So it's all about how we're evolutionarily designed and hardwired. You know, where are the, the fallbacks with that? But when we understand those fallbacks, we can actually turn those things around and use them to our advantage. Yeah, we have, we have a mutual friend, Heidi Hanna, and, and what Heidi described to me once, I think very similar to what you're talking about, is that we were, we're operating in fight or flight, you know, 10 times. I mean, it's, it's probably meant to use 5% of the time. And, and I think a lot of us as our default are probably operating there 80, 90% of the time and our body's just not designed for that, right? And all that cortisol is making us sick and stressed and and for a lot of things that people wouldn't in other countries or cultures would not consider stressful right i think it's there are some people out there i've said that are legitimately stressed about dealing with their four houses that they have to manage today they're getting the same physiological reaction even though someone in some other part of the world would not consider that a very stressful activity right and what's really short-circuiting this whole stress response is that we're designed to have a physical reaction to stress. And when we do that, that's what hits the reset button. But now you live in an environment where, you know, it's stressful at work. Well, you're trapped in that meeting or you're on that long conference call or you're in rush hour traffic. There's no physical response to stress typically. And so that cortisol just continues to just constantly be circulating in your body, which then kills cells in your brain related to memory and learning. Cortisol makes you want to pig out on those high fat, high sugar comfort foods. Cortisol keeps you up at night. It interferes with your sleep. It leads to anxiety and depression. And it's really a lack of movement that's short-circuiting this evolutionary hardwiring. So I'm a, I'm a little slow. And you just said it twice for me to really, for it to click in my head. So I just want to make sure I repeat it for everyone else. 
the, the fight or flight is designed for you to fight or flight, right? So, and both of those are, are exercise or activities that then get rid of the cortisol. But we're walking in a situation where we're triggering the action and then we have no, we have no outlet to make it go away. Absolutely. Yeah. The end result of the stress response for our ancestors was it was fast and it was furious and it was physical and either it was over with or they were over with and it happened very quickly. And now like we just have these stressors that just keep going and going and going and we don't get the physical activity to restore our chemistry and we're just walking around just stewing in these stress hormones that are just leading to major issues, both psychological as well as physiological. So the best thing that you can be, the worst thing you can be is passive aggressive. And if we're walking into a meeting and we're sitting there and we're stewing on something, we might as well have it out with the people that we're with and burn off some of that cortisol. <laughs> yeah, like lock the door, ring the bell, WWE SmackDown, like we're going to settle this, we're going to correct this right now. Um, no, you don't want to do that. But it's not so much about, you know, we, you could say, you know what, let's talk this out. But the problem is the fact that you got stressed out about it changed your chemistry and your physiology. You secreted cortisol and cortisol is now going to be in your system for hours after that. So even though maybe you, you know, you kissed and made up, your chemistry still has not been corrected. And so I always tell people, like, you're not going to be able to, you know, get a short burst of physical activity right in the moment when you have experienced stress. But as soon as you can, find a way to just get some movement in your body that will then flush out those stress hormones and then signal the release of endorphins, endocannabinoids, human growth hormone, just like this pharmacy that we have for stress that puts our brains and bodies back into an ideal state. There's some misperceptions, I think, about exercise, right, that I've heard you talk about in terms of where we get our max benefit in terms of longer versus high intensity and when we, when we should do each. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that a lot of people might not be exercising in the way that actually has the most benefit or helps with stress or re relieve some of the cortisol stuff that you were talking about. Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues people have with getting regular exercise is they just they don't have the time. The good news is is that long workouts really don't produce better results. And in fact, there's a way to actually shorten your workout dramatically and get much better results. So for quite some time as exercise physiologists, we've known that high intensity interval training is the number one way to elevate your fitness. And it's also more efficient and effective because you can actually get twice the results in the same amount of time as a long, like slow, steady workout. Or what you can do then is cut your workout in half and do high intensity interval training and get the same amount of benefit as a longer, moderate workout. And so with this high intensity interval training, it very quickly starts changing the chemistry and physiology of your, your body from a fitness perspective, but it's also the number one way to build your resiliency to stress. Because think about this, okay, when you're exposed to a stressful event, 
heart rate goes up. And then when the stressful event is over, heart rate drops. So how quickly your heart rate drops and recovers from stress indicates how resilient you are. So when you exercise, heart rate goes up. And then when the stress of exercise is over, the heart rate drops. How we measure somebody's level of fitness is how quickly the heart rate drops and recovers after the stress of exercise is over. So you're saying that that mimics, you, the HIT training mimics what you're trying to train your body to do in terms of recovering from stress. Exactly. There is a direct connection between getting your body to recover from stress and getting your brain to recover from stress. It's the same. And research shows that people who are more physically fit have a higher capacity for stress and they recover from stress more quickly and more efficiently. And, you know, going back to our evolutionary hardwiring, the stress response for our ancestors didn't go on for 60 minutes at a moderate intensity. It was a short burst. It was quick, it was fast, it was furious, and then they recovered. And so these high intensity interval exercise sessions are really sort of mimicking that fight or flight response. And so I actually sort of poured over the research journals and I was like, okay, how much physical activity do you need to do and at what intensity to actually change your chemistry and your physiology? And what research shows is 30 to 60 seconds of intense physical activity stimulates the release of endorphins, which then restore balance after the stress response. So this means a couple of things. You just get off the phone, you had a really stressful call with a client, shut your office door and do 30 to 60 seconds of burpees or squat jumps or push-ups or jump rope without the rope in your hands, okay? You've now just corrected your chemistry. But if you wanna build your resiliency, if you set aside a few minutes to do some exercise and just say, you know what, I'm gonna do some short bursts of physical activity followed by recovery, and I'll repeat that a handful of times, that's what's actually gonna build your fitness and your resiliency to stress. When you're hiring for your small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So when when you do it makes it either a painkiller or a vitamin? Is that sort of what I'm hearing? If you do it when you're not stressed, then you're building up your bank um, to deal with stress, but then it's also using it when you have that rush or that cortisol in your system to let it out. Am I interpreting that correctly? 
You got it. You know, you've got two options. You can just do it really quick to just correct your chemistry, hit the reset button on stress, or you can do a series of short bursts, which then makes you more resilient to stress in the future. So there's the now and the future. And what's interesting I've noticed with the latest iOS watch update is that they have a thing in the heart rate section that actually shows you your recovery heart rate, like how we have access more to this information watching within a half an hour or hour, how quickly did you come down from your peak? I assume that's all part of interval training, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Can you give people some specifics here? What... Like how quickly should you come down from your max or what should the delta be? Or if anyone has Apple Watch is really trying to look at the efficacy of this, what should they be looking for? Well, all of us are different. And so we can't really compare apples to apples because my resting heart rate is going to be different than yours, Bob's, which is going to be different than our listeners. And so probably a lot lower than mine. <laughs> maybe, um, you know, so your max heart rate is going to be based off of that but here's just a great way is to you know look at what's my current baseline just where am i at now no judgment but this is just my starting point and now start paying attention to how long does it take me to get my heart rate to come back down what you should be noticing over time if you're exercising consistently is that it takes less time for you to recover from that stress of exercise you're increasing your fitness and your resiliency. So another thing that you should notice is that you will actually have to work harder to get your heart rate to get as high as it was in the past. Because now what you've done is you've raised your threshold to be able to handle stress. So now your heart rate might not get as high. So the two things just so simply you should be looking for is that just your heart rate starts to recover more quickly than your baseline. And that also you're going to have to work a lot harder to get your heart rate as high as it used to go. Yeah. You know, so I think science is great. And for some people, they love to track all of that. And for some people, that's a huge stressor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what creates stress is really, really different from each person. Can you go back a little bit to what you started with? I wanted to sort of start from the five or 10 feet, but you really dove into something that's important, kind of bring this all full circle about, I think kind of like what's your North Star and kind of keeping things in perspective around your values and where you're going and how that helps you manage stress on a, on a day-to-day level. For me, one of my strongest beliefs is that I believe that we are all given a set of talents and gifts and that it is our responsibility to try to fully develop those as much as we possibly can while we're here, and then to put them out into the world and make a difference in some way, shape, or form. That operating belief for me gives me confidence and courage to really put myself out there and to put myself into stressful situations that are really gonna stretch me as a person. And it's those things that really challenge us the most that teach us the most. I mean, from a physiological perspective, how we grow muscle is that we have to expose our muscles to stress. That's how they adapt and grow and get stronger. And so, you know, I'm, I've actually spent a lot of time getting clarity on my 
core beliefs. I have five core beliefs that are really, really strong. And those beliefs really guide my behavior on a daily level. And they, you know, they're applicable to the right here, right now. These five core beliefs help me to make decisions professionally, personally, physically. And they, they are great like buffers against stress because they help me to really embrace stress and see it as a tool for growth. As long as we get recovery though, if you don't get recovery from stress, that's when we actually, instead of getting growth, that's when we start uh, shriveling. And the recovery needs to be in the balance of a day or are you advocating the recovery needs to be pretty quickly after the stress? We need to be getting recovery periodically all day long. Because I mean, really, we're expending a lot of energy all day long. So it doesn't really make sense to only get energy recovery when you come home after a long day. That's not sustainable. I mean, athletes who are running a marathon, they break up that 26.2 miles into perhaps eight water bottle stations where what they're doing is they're saying, okay, I'm going to perform for a long period of time and I have to sustain my performance. So I actually have to plan in where am I going to get some energy recovery so that I can sustain speed, stamina, and really perform to my best. Well, that's a good segue and a question I was going to ask you directly. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about performance and you are, you know, a, a sought after speaker, award-winning author, but you're also a competitive athlete. So with all that you have going on, the demands on your plate, what are some of the tricks that you do to perform at a high level across all of these disciplines? Yeah, great question. As I mentioned earlier, sleep. Bob, I am diabolical about getting enough sleep and protecting my sleep because I will see it show up the next day in my workouts, in my energy, and my decision making. So I am an old woman who does not think twice about if it's nine o'clock and I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. I need sleep. What's your target number of hours? You know, if I go to bed and then wake up on my own, it's about nine hours. You know, I can get by on less than that, but that's not my goal in life. I just want to get by. <laughs> I want to be a high performer. So sleep is incredibly important for me. I also exercise at least five days a week, non-negotiable. And what I consider exercise means intensity. So I do almost 100% high-intensity interval training because my workouts can be really, really short and really effective. And I believe that if you have your body and gravity's turned on, you have everything that you need. I can get a great workout in my living room just using my own body weight. You know, I can do it in my hotel. I don't have to pack stuff in my, my suitcase. I'm also really diligent about my nutrition. I almost never go longer than about three and a half hours without eating something. But also I love balance. You know, every evening uh, there's a gin and diet tonic that happens. Um, I have a little bit of junk food every afternoon that, you know, life is also about balance. But I think too, you know, being an entrepreneur, I love what I do. And I get so much energy from that. And being able to do what I love 
man, that's like, I, I get excited to wake up every day. Um, I do have my coffee too. Uh, that excites me as well. Um, but I just, you know, I am, I'm obsessed with how can I continue to learn, grow, expand my capacity, put myself out there, but do it in a way that's strategic. You know, I don't, Nobody likes to cannonball into the deep end of fear. It's all about how can I just make myself a little bit uncomfortable? Okay, I did that. Now I'm going to do something that's going to give me some recovery. Okay, now I'm going to do another thing that makes me a little uncomfortable. And I'm going to follow that with recovery. And that's growth. And let me ask you one last question, again, related to resilience. What's the mistake in your business or career that you think you've learned the most from? Um, yeah, lifetime of examples. But, you know, one that really jumps out to me, a, a professional mistake, and to be honest, it's going to sound weird, Bob, I don't view a lot of things in my life as mistakes. I view them as a learning opportunity. Like, absolutely, holy cow, what did I learn? But so this resiliency training tool that I have, some people told me like, hey, that's a great fitness product. You should sell it on QVC and shop NBC. And I was like, Okay, but in my gut, I was like, this is a rotten idea for QVC because with my, you know, resiliency training tool, you actually have to work really hard. It's a hard workout. And that's not what most home shopping club shoppers are looking for. So got onto QVC. I mean, the work that went into getting the product to get the right barcodes and shipping labels and get it into their system and, you know, shipping stuff out there. And the day before the guy was like, this is going to make bank. This is going to go crazy. And my gut, I'm like, I don't see it, but I, I hope you're right. So right before me, there was a guy selling the body blade. It was basically this, like, think of a bow and arrow without the string on it. So you just hold this blade in the middle and you just stand there and you shake it back and forth. And then he even showed how you can do it while sitting down. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. So I was on next. I think I sold like 35 units after all of that. I mean, it was, it was a freaking, you know, epic failure. But what I learned from that was, A, I should have listened to my gut. And I was like, this is not the right fit. B, helped me to understand, I don't want to be in the world of retail. I have zero passion for this. But then C, I was like, you know what? I didn't take business classes in college. I'm just going to chalk this up to a semester of business school. But cheaper. Yeah. All right. Well, Jenny, it's been great talking with you. We could probably go on for another hour. And I know we just scratched the surface on this topic. So I'm going to encourage our listeners, if you want to dig deeper into the concept that Jenny talked about here um, for coaches and high-end performers and business leaders, definitely get her book, The Resiliency Revolution. And we'll be sure to include a link for that in the show notes. We'll also include links to Jenny's website and her captivating TED Talk on stress. And speaking of captivating, if you found any of this or outperformed podcast captivating, we'd really appreciate your rating and reviewing on iTunes. And until next time, thanks for listening and keep outperforming. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. 
I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.